I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind, made possible in part by Marie Sharp's Hot Sauce, hand-harvested, sustainably farmed, whole fruit and vegetables, certified, pesticide-free, and used within hours of picking, and by listeners like you. You can support our series on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome to the program today, David Brownstein. He is president of Together for Safer Roads. Welcome, David. Thanks, Alex. My pleasure to be here. David, what is your position on the pending infrastructure legislation, and what is the likelihood of, of, of its passage? Oh, I, I don't have a crystal ball, Alex, so I'm not sure I can give you a, a likelihood of passage. I, I can tell you that uh, from my perspective as the leader of a road safety coalition, uh, we believe that the passage would be a phenomenal thing for this country. Um, infrastructure, uh, as it relates to road safety, is a critical component of the way that we all get around safely. And it, we've underinvested in infrastructure for far too many years. So uh, we're hopeful that um, that we can find a bipartisan way to uh, to reach an agreement on on meaningful infrastructure investment to make sure that everybody uh, gets home to their families safely. Incentivizing road safety, uh, that can be a bridge across the partisan divide. And we're already seeing potentially some unity between Democrats and Republicans in terms of making road, bridge, tunnel safety a priority? Yes, I, I think so. I, I think there's general. There's general agreement that those are all good things that not only does it make for safer roads, but it can spur the economy. And certainly we need uh, that as well. Um, yeah, and all of these components are, are critical. But I also want to point out that, you know, this isn't just about, you know, vehicle traffic and, and you know, people who are moving in large or, you know, four-wheel vehicles or otherwise. Uh, we're talking about pedestrians and cyclists. And, you know, unfortunately for this country, we had a very bad year last year when it comes to uh, traffic fatalities. We had a very bad year, as a matter of fact, it looks like. And um, I think that should surprise us all and make us want to invest in safer roads. And the infrastructure is a big part of making everybody safe on the roads. Do you attribute that to more private pedestrian citizen transportation in our own vehicles as opposed to public or mass transit? Or do you attribute that to specific trends unrelated to the pandemic? Yeah, I believe there was more exposure, and and this data is still being compiled. So I'm going to give you my hypothesis because that's what it is right now. That that there was more risky behavior on the roads. Uh, You hear anecdotally from law enforcement that there was more speeding that was occurring, and that will definitely contribute to uh, those risky behaviors. Will contribute to uh, less safe roads. Uh, I don't believe that pedestrians are acting any differently than they had previously. 
I believe there was more exposure to risky behaviors because in, in many cases, the roads were less crowded than, the, than they would have been otherwise. What percent of, of deaths and fatalities of all of those deaths and fatalities in America, how many of them in that pie chart are on the roads or specifically vehicle involved fatalities or deaths? Well, the vast majority of them, I won't give you a specific percentage, but the vast majority of them are vehicle-involved fatalities. Uh, you know, the, these are, you know, the, there's an awful lot of speeding that happens just in the general course of our day. And whether you call that a criminal act or not, it is something that's, that's a known problem, Right. And it isn't just a known problem because of the criminality. I don't want to, I don't really tend to think of it that way. I would prefer to think of it just in practical terms that human beings, when they're in vehicles, when they're outside of vehicles, there's a natural limitation to what our bodies can bear when it comes to the forces, you know, at play when it comes to a traffic uh, crash. So this is a very well-known thing in the, in the road safety community. We talk about kinetic energy for a reason, because that's mass, you know, uh, moving at speed. And the higher speed you go, the more that mass can do, can do damage to individuals. And that, by the way, includes individuals that are, that are in vehicles, but may not be secured by their uh, seatbelts and whatnot. So, you know, I think there are some... Uh, th- there is certainly a degree of of behavior that we have to cover off on, uh, you know, when we when we think about like seatbelt usage and, and speeding, and certainly um, driving under the influence and those things. But at the end of the day, I think we need a, a a culture change that will discourage speeding, that will offer other alternatives to individuals to. The, the motorization that has happened. Um, and by the way, I'm not anti-car, but I think that in this country, as compared to some others, we have not done enough to make those alternative modes of transportation attractive uh, to individuals, thereby reducing our risk associated with motorization and speed. What percent of deaths, yeah. of all American deaths, are a result of traffic incidents as a percent of of all fatalities in a, in a given as, as a percent of all fatalities with the trend during the pandemic. If this yeah. has been further exacerbated, which is um, deaths on the road are comparable to homicides or heart disease, or I mean, I I, I oh, just yeah. wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, I, I I get it. So so. Generally, we talk about uh, road fatalities as being in the top 10, uh, from a public health standpoint, the top 10 causes of death in, in any country, right? Uh, globally, the number tends to be around the eighth uh, leading cause of death. Um, it certainly does not uh, reach the level of um, heart disease and and those sorts of illnesses. 
However, it's it is you know eighth regularly quoted as being the eighth most deadly uh, public health issue in the world. So on a global stage, there are 1.35 million people that are estimated to die every year on the world's roads. Um, now, if you look at it from a subset of the population, this is where it gets really concerning. I think, you know, we should all be concerned about the next generation of, of individuals in whatever country. It is you know, well known that traffic fatalities are the number one killer of individuals under the age of, of 25. So that should scare everybody, right? Because we are, we are literally um, losing the youngest among us at the highest rates. Um, and, and that there's a lot of reasons that go into that, but the, that younger population is certainly one that we certainly don't want to lose um, at the at the rates we're losing them. What prescriptively is in the federal infrastructure legislation that you would champion most vigorously? So there there are pieces of the legislation that refer to the state highway safety plans that that the states are required to have. And there should be significant investment in those plans. Believe it or not, when we invest in infrastructure, safety is not necessarily embedded in every project that happens, and yet it should be. Um, and, and there's also a, a companion aspect to the infrastructure plan that, that would encourage uh, regional authorities and local authorities to uh, implement what are known as complete streets. So complete street design is one that acknowledges that the, these public rights of way that we've created for mobility should serve every mode that it can and not overemphasize one at the expense of another. So complete streets are an important part of the road safety community's approach to infrastructure. And complete streets underlie a lot of what is mentioned in the bill and what is percolating through these state uh, highway safety plans. But we can do more to invest in complete streets. What would you like to see at the local level um, with mayors and governors um, who would take more proactive steps to secure roadways um, separate from the federal legislation? What do you think are the most pressing needs at the municipal level for those state legislators and governors to act on? So we've talked a bit about uh, speed, Alex. So I would like to see... um, more cities and uh, regional governments take speed management seriously. Uh, that it can be a somewhat controversial topic, uh, but I think speed management is a very important part of any road safety plan. Um, I would also like, and I would like to see uh, officials, you know, investing in some leading indicators. So, you know, a lot of this comes down to having the right data to make the right decisions about where we can be proactive about saving lives. 
And quite frankly, right now, uh, we use lagging indicators, right? Even in this conversation, we're talking a lot about uh, crashes and fatalities and serious injuries. Those are things that have already happened in the past. And so there are new uh, tools that we can use. Uh, and Together for Safe Roads has been very actively, uh, proactively promoting the notion of near-miss analysis because we have already shown and others have studied that near misses can be precursors to those more catastrophic uh, issues. And so we would like to see local officials looking at new ways to measure the, the uh, safety of our roads, including looking at near miss technologies that will tell us when we have a problem. We, we've got some experience doing this now, and we're convinced that if we did more measurement around near miss, we could save uh, thousands, if not tens of thousands of lives uh, on the roads. How are you responding to the new technologies being deployed, specifically autonomous vehicles? Yeah, I'm, I'm pro-autonomous vehicle, but not for the reasons that many people might be. So a lot, I liken it to the space race. Right? There is a tremendous amount, billions of dollars being invested in the end game being a vehicle that is driven by you know, computer-assisted uh, system, right? And you know, I, while I think that will happen eventually, um, I think the technologies that are going into that actually have a lot of potential in the near term to save lives. So the kinds of things that are in vehicles today that are already on the roads like lane keep assist and automatic emergency braking and some of the camera systems that are allowing us to uh, run those systems. Those subsystems actually can be deployed today, sometimes in a retrofitable fashion. And, and those systems are, make me very positive about the development of autonomous vehicles because it, were it not for that investment, some of those subsystems might not mature the way they're maturing, and we would have, you know, we would have to wait until the end game being a level five autonomous vehicle is available to everybody, which is not going to happen very soon. People are owning their vehicles a lot longer. Um, we need to turn over the fleet with some of these, uh, I'll call them level two and level three uh, technologies that will keep people safe on the roads. We've talked about the infrastructure crisis in this country for decades, uh, as we have the solvency of Social Security. The infrastructure crisis is different in, in that there, there is a tangible way to build it back right, without creating new government infrastructure. Um, you can create new government infrastructure to accomplish it, but we've talked about the decaying roads, bridges, and tunnels in this country, and of course the electrical grid. And there was the highway revolution under the Eisenhower administration, but really over the subsequent decades, there was not very much reinvestment in aspects of infrastructure. So across this country, um, 
before the 2009 Stimulus and Recovery Act, is it fair to say that there was very little infrastructure reinvestment for half a century? Very little or less than was required, right? Um, we invest, I believe, something like uh, 2% of GDP in infrastructure. And some of our um, peers in the, the, uh, on a world stage are investing many, many times that uh, 3, 4, 5x what we're investing in infrastructure. Um, so I do think it's long past due when when we can when we reinvest in our infrastructure would you liken the united states missing an action would you liken it to the rest of the world or do you think that the united states has been distinctively backwards in not investing in its infrastructure and now we have this golden opportunity, theoretically, with President Biden, who himself has been an avid advocate of the train system, Amtrak specifically in this country. What you said you couldn't predict what progress may result from his first term or this administration, but if you were to just put in perspective, the American lapses over these years, how how does it relate to other societies, other countries? Yeah, look, you know, I'm, I'm looking at all of this through the lens of quality of life and how do we make sure that citizens have the right opportunities and access to mobility so that um, they can not only uh, travel safely to their jobs and around their communities, but also uh, to, you know, help to grow the economy. Uh, mobility is is threaded throughout everything that we do. So, you know, it's hard to, it, it, that's a very difficult question you pose because, you know, I think we have shown that our our economy has grown quite substantially compared to some of our peer um, developing countries, right? So, you know, it's not necessarily a one-for-one thing where we say, well, we've underinvested, therefore we haven't grown because we, we have invested in some other areas of the economy that have, that have proven to be quite productive, right? And, and so we lead in a lot of things. Uh, you know, certainly from a technology standpoint, this country has done a wonderful job, both from a public and private sector standpoint and an academic standpoint in creating tremendous infrastructure, if you will, for growing that part of our uh, economy and having that be a productive, uh, you know, part of society. But when it comes to some of the more foundational aspects of infrastructure, we've so I do think that we have, you know, sort of lost our way there. And and maybe it's because we've made these other choices, right? But I, I don't think that that um, one has to uh, take away from the other necessarily. 
there are some hard choices to be made for sure. But I don't think you can expect to, uh, you know, to, to grow an economy and provide for your people and, and give them a uh, quality of life that is going to be what we would have considered the, the norm for this country uh, over the past 50 years. I don't think you can continue to underinvest in infrastructure and expect that to be the case. So I, I think it's, you know, again, it is one of those things that we're just going to have to commit to because we're going to start to, to see an erosion in our overall productivity and our quality of life. David Brownstein, president of Together for Safer Roads, thank you so much for your insight today. Thanks, Alex.